from Alex Albon to Alex Bowman to Alex Pillow. Money Lap has you covered. All right. Hello and welcome to the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Kligerman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all motorsports. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the Money Lap newsletter. It comes to your inbox three times a week. Monday's highlights, Wednesday's news and fun stuff, and Friday, of course, news, uh, fantasy, and all the other fun stuff out in the motorsports world. It's the best five minutes in motorsports. It's growing insanely, Landon. Almost 300 new subscribers, subscribers, say that easily, uh, this week alone. It's absolutely uh, doing very well, so that's awesome. And it's cool to see people interacting with it, opening it up and finding their everything they want from the motorsports world right there in their inbox three times a week. Uh, let's do the PR lap. This is where we get to talk about ourselves, even though we just kind of did that. And we got a big deal going on. It's <laughs> Firecracker 400, week two already. Week one was the prelims. Eight prelims, over 360 drivers entered this event. We narrowed it down to the top 88 who go into two-round qualifying Tuesday night, which was we're on Tuesday recording this, and then Wednesday will be second round, which if you're listening to this, that will be on eraser.gg's Twitch. Um, but this is this was wild. It was a crazy two nights, almost five hours each night of broadcast, watching all those drivers try and make it to the top 88. It was like real racing. We had actual delays and almost like weather delays in – I know I'm making our producers cringe here by talking about this publicly, but hey, that's racing. <laughs> we had like we had delays. <laughs> we had eye racing issues. Um, although I shouldn't blame eye racing like that, but every once in a while, especially when you push the limits of the platform like we do with our events, you all you're almost inevitable to find a bug. And when you're broadcasting live to thousands of people with hundreds of competitors, here that's that's what is it? Murphy's law. If something can go wrong, it will. <laughs> Yep. Um, so we had to soldier through it. We had a couple broadcasts that went past midnight, but man, we got through. We got over almost 400 competitors. We got through, narrowed them down to 88, which is funny because it seems like not that many competitors, right? It, it seems like a small group. And yet tonight and tomorrow night, Wednesday, July 19th on our Twitch on eRacer, we will qualify all 88 of those competitors one at a time, all the pressure on them, the whole world looking on to see if they can make it into the Firecracker 400 with a custom setup, no fixed setups. This isn't done for you. You had to build it yourself. These drivers are really put to the test. They really are, and it's the intensity and the pressure is immense. What Dale Jr. say it was the most nervous he's ever been for a qualifying lap was in the Firecracker yeah. Ford or something like that, I, or it was one of the more nervous, nervous times he's had. Uh, it's going to be cool. We'll probably break a track record for us in this event tonight from what I hear. Um, in the top 20 on Tuesday night, lock in, and then everyone else has the option to either rerun or stand on their time in the second night. So that's really an interesting show. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, we also, also, I know, I don't know if we have it later, but you know, thanks to our sponsor Thrustmaster, um, you know, they're promoting their T818 direct drive base, uh, wheelbase through the Firecracker 400 this year, which is super cool. The new, great new product on the market. Um, Parker, I think you've got one. I don't know if you've driven with it yet or what the feel oh, is, yeah. but uh, it's pretty oh, awesome. Oh, no, it's, an, it's amazing. On board. 
it's amazing, and I have I love it so far. And I've actually been practicing Pocono with it, and I did a truck race earlier today, and oh, nice. I couldn't believe how fast I was up to speed because you can just feel the saturation of the tire so well, like better than I've ever been able to feel in iRacing. racing. Uh, so either I'm becoming more adept at you know ability to feel saturation of the tire, <laughs> or the more realistic situation is that I just got this incredible wheel. Uh, the T eight one eight from Thrustmaster that it, it's really unbelievable, and I I did a video that you'll see on the broadcast where I just I'm testing it out for the first time and I, I'm blown away because it's just so realistic. There's so many finer things that I'm feeling than I ever have before, um, and so I really think if you're in the market for a sim racing wheel, check out the Thrustmaster T eight one eight. That is not just a plug. I because they're a partner of the Firecracker four hundred. I would say this. Because I've had I've driven other for, uh, direct drive wheels, but they didn't give me this sensation, this this like high definition, yep. minute things that I feel through the wheel that I just have never felt before. So I also have the Sparco um, Rally wheel that I feels really close to a stock car, and it it's, feels amazing as well. So I love that. Speaking of reviews, so you just got my I, amazing. Well, hold on. I know. Go ahead. I know. I I want. Well, we. You know, for all the listeners out there that are like, "Oh my God, get through the the e racing stuff." Uh, when you <laughs> said you've driven a lot of different direct drive wheels, uh, we've drivers that have raced professionally in racing simulators have driven everything from a hundred dollar wheelbase and their home simulator to a twenty five thousand dollar, you know, yep. steering system in the simulators at Chevy and. Toyota and everything, so it's it is amazing the the spectrum of wheels. It's not just a hobby, um, because there are these companies on this never ending search for the most realistic wheel. So, anyways, let's get to your reviews. This is the most important yes. part of the show for you. I know that, <laughs> and that is the incredible part. It's, we've <laughs> just to add on to that. You know, we've driven Sims as you put it, hundred bucks or up to millions of dollars, <laughs> and everything in between. And yep. I will tell you, this wheel is right up there, the best. So. Speaking of reviews, we have hit 86 reviews on Apple Podcasts on our quest for 100. We have severely slowed down in the amount being added. So listeners, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your, uh, I don't know, friends' friends to go leave a review. First listen to the podcast, then review. But 86 on our quest to 100, and we had two great ones this week. Uh, one that was five stars, insightful insight. Landon Parker or Parker and Landon, if you're so inclined, do a great job of breaking down the goings-on in the motorsports world from Alex Albon to Alex Bowman to Alex Pillow. Money Lap has you covered. That's from B. Hester. Thank you, buddy. That's that's a good one. Uh, and then we also had Thanks, a five-star podcast. Um, big yes. Alex fan. Go ahead. Yeah, big, <laughs> big Alex uh, guy. <laughs> big Alex fan. <laughs> uh Five-star podcast hosted by five-star host. The podcast is incredibly decent. The dynamic of a pit reporter and a crypto <laughs> trader hosting a racing podcast works surprisingly well. <laughs> Wait, we're neither of those things anymore. Uh, these guys are all incredibly Jeez. knowledgeable about all things motorsports and can work in ad reads like no other. I appreciate their insight on the inner workings of the racing world, and their newsletter is a blessing to the inbox. Eliminating spoilers from the newsletter oh, was a welcome change. That makes you feel good. Speaking of spoilers... Don't forget, you can go to SpoilerDieCast.com for all your diecast needs. <laughs> Keep up the great work, PK and Landon. I can't wait for the next episode. We got a sponsor plug in a review. Thank you to Pat wow. Mall underscore eight. Thank you. I mean, is that is that is is that how you like? Are we going to take this review into every sponsor pitch and meeting? 
with any for renewals with spoiler diecast and anybody else to be like, hey, if you want to know if our fans are engaged in our ad reads, how about the fans that are literally writing their own ad reads for spoilerdiecast.com? Go to spoilerdiecast.com for all of your diecast needs. You know what, Parker? That actually makes me think. I have been on a quest for the best possible diecast. Um, if you're a diehard racing fan, then you need to check out Spoiler Diecast with one of the largest inventories of in-stock products on in the industry. They offer a wide selection of diecast and apparel for NASCAR, dirt, sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1. And if you're worried about shipping costs, don't be. All orders are $20, shipped for free, and they even have a same or next day shipping policy. Plus, their pre-order system means you can reserve your favorite diecast and only play, pay when it's ready to ship. And if you want to save even more, Parker, use promo code mm. MONEYLAP at checkout to get free shipping and 5% off your order. It's the most aggressive offer in the space and ex- exclusive to our listeners, even the ones that write the reviews, especially the ones that write reviews with our sponsor in them. So head on over to Spoiler Diecast dot com and get your racing fix today maybe one day the well, firecracker 400 winner will have a spoil a diecast sold on spoiler diecast you never know <laughs> crazier times we have end. actually we uh, have done that i think i think we've had the uh firecracker winner has gotten diecast so maybe we'll get it sold on firecracker uh spoiler diecast.com I love that. We just got to make a couple of them um <laughs> that was awesome also money lap is spreading. You know, we first sponsored a Mazda MX-5 Cup car at Watkins Glen with Sam Paley, who put in a valiant effort. Uh, we have now sponsored the Fast Lap Award across four different classes of kids racing at Woodleaf Raceway in North Carolina this past weekend on Sunday. Four of them won, uh, setting the fastest lap. So the Money Lap not only supports top levels like MX-5 Cup, but even the grassroots level of the young kids coming up to try and be professional race car drivers. Love that. That is so cool. I'm glad that we did that. Uh, maybe maybe the Money Lap can be like this brand that engages with just the up-and-coming racers around the country. So we, we've already mm. talked about, Parker, maybe this is kind of building in front of, building in front of an audience type thing. or build, what, what, what do you call it? Build in public. We talked about public. the whole concept. Yeah, build in public. So... We, we've talked about this idea of getting the money lap sticker on local racers. Like maybe we have some kind of bonus or something where racers put their run a money lap sticker and it's like almost our own contingency award that we just run across uh, short track racers and grassroots racers everywhere. So this is the You know what it, it is? Thank you, Parker. Good, good, yeah. good deal at Woodleaf. What's that? I like that. And maybe it expands in that sense to like if you win a poll – in any division with X amount of cars, uh, with our sticker on your car, we send you a bonus. I don't know how we would make that work or how we could feasibly do that, but that could be a way. Could be cool. Yeah. So that's the idea. Like if we if people just run our sticker, and or you know paint a paint a money lab helmet or run our sticker on their helmet or on their fire suit, and they have a, a picture of themselves in, you know, with a pole award, then we'll give them a prize. We'll give them 50 bucks. I don't know. Bam. We have endless amounts of money, huh. don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. We just We're do that it. forever. As long as we sell more diecast, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, spoilerdiecast.com. 
You want me to just jump right into another spoiler ad read? We're going to have to do a few more ad reads to pay for that. Yeah, we have to pay for all these. Uh, congrats to all the kids at Woodleaf. Really cool um, you know, to see that. And we're going to be posting some pictures on our social media of the kids that won. So it's pretty cool. Um, just part of my you know PR lap is talking about our own racing. I raced at New Hampshire this past weekend, for those that don't know, in the Xfinity Series. Uh, but I want to call out this weekend because it was a super smooth weekend for our race team. Probably the smoothest of the year, although we didn't you know set the world on fire we didn't do anything spectacular it was one of those weekends for a team that's came in there six points outside the playoffs was as smooth as could be uh we executed on everything we were doing in terms of practice unloading off the truck and practice and being fairly quick happy with the race car a couple tweaks in the qualifying i i underdrove it by about a tenth which would have put us easily in the top 10 and then we got in the race and i felt like we had a solid Probably eighth to tenth place car in the first run, um, and then we made an adjustment on the second mm-hmm. run. I felt like we could have driven in the top five, and unfortunately uh, wrecked us on a restart stack up. Uh, that look, that part sucked Those because five. we didn't get the result. But everything else leading up to that was so cool and encouraging for our race team. Even our pit stops are great. So. It was just one of those weekends that no one will ever see or know why it was so good, but it was so good for our team, and it gets me so uh, excited for these races that lead up to the playoffs because I think we have opportunities to win. I think we can more than points ourselves into it uh, with the success we'll have in the coming weeks. So it's uh, it's got me excited, really pumped up for our whole big machine racing team and how well everyone's doing. So on the stack up, mm-hmm. um, basically – I was given a lot of space to the cars in front of me on the restarts because you'll know this, Landon. A lot of times guys spin tires there and you get those stack-ups. Um, and on the first mm-hmm. restart, uh, or the first start and then the restart, I gave space because it just seemed like I wanted time to react, right? Which is so funny because the thing that mm-hmm. ruined us is I didn't react in time <laughs> to the eventual stack-up that got us. <laughs> but I had been giving space because I noticed even on the initial start, I was spinning the tires a little bit. I was like, okay, there's a, li- a real loss of grip on the bottom. Um, and even on the top side, it's just not great grip because the asphalt is so worn there. So I gave that space, yeah. but that was actually my downfall because I had so much space to the 11 that when he connected to the 10 in front of me, when the stack up happened, I hit him, but it was like hitting two cars or three cars at once. There was no movement. Right. So it was like hitting a brick wall for the front of my car and it destroyed us. And I felt like an idiot because I was like, well, damn it. Like, how did I not slow down in time forever? And then when I watched it back, I was like, well, the very thing I was doing to protect us was actually the thing that hurt us. And in that point, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I could do differently. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. But personally, from inside, I replayed a lot of times in my head. I looked at the SMT and I thought, okay, I don't know what I'd do differently other than in that moment possibly just – try and shoot left i guess because i was catching him so quickly suddenly but it i don't know it was uh i don't know if we really had a chance with how they were all connected in front of me with the room i was giving yeah i mean sometimes i feel like those you know when someone gets it as bad as you did there it's like there's when when you have a chain reaction like that there's just somebody in the line at the right spot that is has a zero percent chance of surviving <laughs> you know what i mean like you're at the yep. peak of yep. a i'm sure there's a scientific term for it but like 
they're you're like at the peak velocity point of the slinky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where <laughs> the people ahead of you have a chance of surviving, and the people behind you have a chance of surviving. But like you're the lucky dog, not the lucky dog. You're you're the you're just the lucky contestant that um, has a less than zero chance uh, of surviving. I I have, I mean I've I've bent my car plenty of times in a accordion effect, but I have had one accordion incident that looked about like yours, and that was like in two thousand and nine. I think I was driving at Phoenix in the nationwide then nationwide series Xfinity series, and um i was wide open on the gas <laughs> when i made contact with the cars in front of me. i'm pretty sure i ripped the carburetor off and uh, i think that i was just in that i was in that lucky position that you were in where it's like there it's a it's impossible to see um yeah the only difference i don't know i'm not putting anything on your spot or brandon but um at New Hampshire, you can see that from the spotter stand a little bit easier than you can other tracks. Mm-hmm. So, but that's just such a. Actually, you know what? I don't want to go the spotter route because it's really not the spotter's fault. But like, no. The one point I do want to make about that is anytime you have a restart where all of the cars end up on a straightaway for the restart, it is just high risk for that type of jam up yeah um that's my point number one i have a second point to watch out for so point number one is like anytime it's on a straightaway so you know go back and think about all kinds of tracks where we've seen stack ups and you think like indianapolis oval um Mm -hmm. has some spectacular stack ups like it you know anywhere like road america could have some spectacular stack ups anywhere that has a long straightaway for the restart um, just super risky uh, for a stack up, and then for your particular restart, I don't exactly remember. But the other high risk that I would look for is if the leader gets to the first line on the restart zone and doesn't go and decides to wait yep. until later in the restart zone. That's a high risk scenario. Like, and that's exactly it, in that my way. mind. If I'm restarting. It, it, in my mind, if I'm well, then I'm glad to hear that, and it's make it validating my point. If I am in your position, you know you're six rows back or five rows back, you know, so really you're not even thinking about your performance on that restart. You're you're a lot of times on those restarts at New Hampshire, you're thinking about protecting yourself on those restarts, right, to avoid mm-hmm. happening what happened to you. And that's not to say you didn't do a good job. I'm just saying like that's sometimes once you get to five rows on back, you're thinking about protecting more so than anything else. Oh yeah. I'm thinking about the leader and I focus on having my spotter count down the leader to the first line. And if the leader gets to the first line, when my spotter says five, four, three, two, one, if the leader gets to one and the field still hasn't gone yet, I'm like, not going, not going to go. There's Mm -hmm. no way I'm, I'm no longer anticipating the restart. The, because Mm. I know that that's the scenario where some shenanigans are going to happen. And <laughs> it's, and obviously that's what happened to you. Like it, the, cause a lot of times a leader gets deep into the restart zone and then you're playing this jockeying game and the leader ends up, somebody ends up break checking somebody. And that's just, 
seems to be what happens. And it, this, you know, it's a range from destroying the field to just a little jam up. And even a little jam up can kill your front bumper and, you know, your, your yep. race is over with. So I just really look for the leader going early. Um, hmm. Which really, not to get on a tangent on this, but like, as the leader, you should go early. That you should change it. Well, first of all, you should change it up. If you're going to lead the whole race, you're running in the top three the whole race, you should change it up. But you should be setting yourself up to go early at the end of the race. Because yep. going early is your best chance of getting away from the field. So yep. they're not ready um, for it. Surprise. They're not ready for Tell it. Me in surprise. fact, you know, I would even say, um, and and this has been been coached to me as well. You know, it, when it comes to a game, like a, a final moments, fourth quarter situation, green-white checkered situation, you're the leader, you're the control car restart. You should go early in the restart zone. In fact, you should probably flirt with going before the restart zone <laughs> and put it in NASCAR's hands to make the call. Mm-hmm. Because NASCAR doesn't want to make that call, and it's not a it's not a bad strategy to 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 put them in a position to have to make the call, right? Because if you can go yeah. a half a car length early, or like maybe not even a, half, a couple feet early, you're gonna catch the field off guard so much. And if it's a couple feet, you know NASCAR is probably gonna look at that and be like, "We know we went early, but we're not gonna call it." Shh. So. <laughs> hey look i'm just trying that, to be real i want the audience to know when 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 I they know, see when when you watch a nascar race and you see you know guys that are up there a lot the denny hamlin or you, you know brad kozlowski guys that are great in the restart zone joey logano when you see them go four feet before the line they know what they're doing <laughs> it's not you know it's not because they don't know where the car's at they know yep. what they're doing. They know that their car's yep. four feet before the line. They're pushing the issue, and they're putting it in NASCAR hands to say, D- I dare you to call me. Ruin your own race, <laughs> right? <laughs> Ruin your own race. Yep. Call me back. <laughs> but it's a green-white checkered, and and you're going to yep. see a great restart, and I'm going to win this race, and I dare you to take it away from me. <laughs> but the longer you wait in a restart zone as the control car, the better chance you yep. give your com- opponent. Because once you get to the end of the restart zone, your opponent knows that you have to go. Yep. Yep. So anyway. we should point out all right, there's that my John Hunter did yeah, John Hunter did nothing wrong in the restart from all the analytics I saw in the numbers. It was actually a lot of the accordion was caused one by exactly what you caught you talked about. He went late in the box, which he's fully allowed to do. He was in you know, maybe overly anticipated by Chandler on the bottom, and then behind him was Cole Custer who had laid back so far and then went for a run and then stopped, which caused a major, that's what really caused the accordion. Oh. And I think one thing to bring up that, uh, you know, and I, I really think if Cole were to do that again, NASCAR would have a stern response for what he did because it, it was entirely precipitated off of his gap that he had created with the leader trying to get a launch. Um, and then, you know, the right. amount of cars that were involved because of this really made NASCAR angry. And yep. I think the, the other side of it, when you talked about the straightaways where tracks at Super Straight, Indy, New Hampshire, um, maybe even Pocono, it's actually a little earlier, so I don't know about that. But these places where it's super st- straight, um, <laughs> you think about when we're at like Charlotte and restarting, 
or Bristol, you can see, as we corner, you can see all the cars ahead of you. If you're on the bottom side or the top side, you can kind right. of see around. When you cut our, you know, where I was with Daniel Hemrick, I cannot see anything but Daniel Hemrick. <laughs> like, that's all I can see. Right. And one or two cars to my right, right? Like, that's it. So being on the, you know, fifth or sixth row, you, you have no reference. I cannot see anything ahead of me as opposed to places where right. it's curved where you can see that. And so that's why you get those stack-ups because, one, we're all anticipating. Two, we're going off the car in front of us. So if that car goes, then stops from the accordion effect, that's the thing that I think causes those stack-ups that we saw at New Hampshire. And to your point, I do believe, similar that when I looked at everything, there's just a place in that slinky that's the worst place to be, and we happen to be in it. And it's, you know, won't make that yeah. mistake again, or we'll hopefully won't be there again, because if I had yeah. gotten by the 10 and the 11 on those laps prior where I was passing them before that caution came out and just got a little loose under the 10, if I make that pass, yeah. maybe we're not involved in that spot. So that's how it goes. Well, hey, by you the know way, that, but then if you, if you did go back and you said, you know, if you said, all right, how am I can, how, how can I, you know, prevent this in the future that, you know, you have your checklist of a, you know, is a leader going early and then be really focusing on your spotter telling you when the leader goes, not just when your row is going. That's yep. maybe a tough a good thing point. to do, but no, it's a great point. I'm going to, I'm going to put that in the notes. I haven't thought of it that way as much as I normally pay attention to that when I'm in like the top five or, or four rows, three rows, because I'm anticipating, mm-hmm. you know, I can see it and I work it myself, but I've never thought about using the spotter in that respect. It's mental. So, we'll it's all mental. Yeah. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. It's all mental game. Um, Landon, we mentioned it earlier, but our newsletter has been growing a ton as of the last two weeks. And a lot of it has come from some big brain decisions that we've been making. Do you think we're getting smarter? Um, every day, buddy. Every day. <laughs> well, I love that because I do think we are, and I believe it's because of Four Sigmatic Think Coffee. I'm being honest when I say this. This is the only coffee that I have on race days because I genuinely think it makes me smarter. Now, you might be wondering, those listening out there, how does it make you smarter? Well, it's smarter. It's coffee infused with functional mushrooms that work to wake up your mind. They say many people feel the effects in as little as seven days. Mine was quicker than that. I'm just not going to lie. I even use their vanilla uh, plant-based protein and focus product. So if you want to try this coffee that I'm telling you I believe is making us smarter, making me a better race car driver, and helping grow our newsletter, please – Go try their Think Starter Pack. It's 40% off. And then if you use the code MONEYLAP, it's another 15% off. So that's 55% off. I may be smarter, but I'm not a rocket scientist. I think this is a deal. So go check it out. That's at foursigmatic.com. It's F-O-U-R, then sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com. Use that code MONEYLAP. Go try this coffee. I'm telling you. This is some of the best coffee in the world, and it might make you smarter. So it's what we're using. How'd I do? That's great. I've been a <laughs> – oh, you did great. I'm, I'm a big fan of mushrooms over here, big fan of Four Sigmatic. Uh, coffee, the protein, I use it both pretty much daily, if not one or the other daily, because we've, we've got the protein down here with us, the beach, and uh, love it. Definitely feel smarter. I had smarter. some after and boxing today. You've been doing a great – I look forward I, to it. There you it's go. The best. Can I just say about go. the protein? It's the best tasting protein I've ever had. 
I literally I look forward to it, and I know oh, yeah. they have like I put the, the peanut butter. The I, I use the peanut butter protein in my smoothies. Oh my god, it's incredible! I look for all the listeners out there. Uh, we love bringing this all to you for free, but this is one of those partnerships, much like Spoiler Diecast, much like Thrustmaster, that is entirely organic and natural. I'm not just promoting this because they're obviously supporting our podcast, but I genuinely use all these things, and I do believe Four Sigmatic is the best coffee and protein in the world right now. So that's uh, it's that's why I do it. Um, let's jump into the racing. We're far in this one. We barely yeah. talked about some of the other racing out there. Let's talk about the Cup Series. I thought – so the NASCAR Cup Series got delayed, uh, postponed on Sunday because of rain, of course, because rain is affecting everything mm-hmm. NASCAR these days. But they raced on Monday in one of the best short track races of the year. Yes, New Hampshire is a short track. But two, by far one of the best short track uh, races I've ever seen in the next-gen era. And a lot of it had to do – and I, I'm going to take this from Dale Jr., um, who said – that there was about there were six grooves on the New Hampshire racetrack. Five of them were being used at points during this race. It was so it's cool to watch. I know, and I in the Xfinity race, I tried going up to the fourth groove and moving the third groove up, but I mm-hmm. found it at times. I passed Sheldon Creed with it. I I was making other yep. passes and running up there, but it would go away. And I was like, man, I, I wonder if I could go higher. And I went higher a couple times, and I just went really slow. And so I was like, okay, that's not coming in. But the Cup Series, as we know, is different. There's a lot more competitive cars that move the groove around. Their cars are different now. They moved that groove to where late in the race, they were going all the way up into that old asphalt that has sealer on it and cutting back down, and it was so cool to watch. I loved it. So I I have a theory. Um, We've never – I have never seen this at New Hampshire before. I've driven out in that groove before, and I've tried it. But I've never made it work, um, and I can't recall any seeing anybody make it work. But here's my theory. <clears throat> so, a few years ago, they when we were on the traction compound kick, New Hampshire was a hot site for traction compound, and they put it in the third groove and the first groove, and then they left the middle groove alone. And then we've gone like two years without traction compound, right? But there's mm-hmm. always been this residual effect. Like the traction compound is some sticky stuff, right? It is like some oh, yeah. serious gorilla snot glue, right? Whatever is in it. <laughs> it doesn't just go away instantly. It lasts. We've proven it at New Hampshire that it lasts years and over the winters and things like that. They did not reapply last year, but right away you could tell there was grip on the bottom, there was grip in the third groove, there was no grip in the middle. But by the end of the race last year, we could tell that the traction compound was damn near wore off, right? Yep. And I would imagine that you noticed there wasn't as much, there was probably not much traction compound effect. Like, it must be completely wore off, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like it. Yeah, it seems like so. My the theory. I wonder if that third groove traction compound. We never ran in the fourth groove, right? The fourth groove is out of the groove. In fact, it's not just out of the groove; it's off. It's on a different type of pavement, right? Like the pavement yep. has like a berm to it. There's a weird, you know, what I'm talking about. Like there's this. Yeah, yeah, 
It's a it, different. It's, it's an like older a, asphalt. It has it, sealer on it. Yeah, it's like a different part of asphalt, right? We never used to run there, but I wonder if when they sprayed the traction compound two years ago, that there was overspray mm. that gets into that fourth groove, and that now that we finally wore off all of the good traction compound in the first groove and the third groove that the drivers were able to find that overspray that hasn't been wore off from the fourth groove. Yep. Does that make any sense? Good point. Makes total sense. And I also think like that stuff, we know so little about that stuff. Totally, totally unprovable theory, but you know what? It's fun to talk about on a podcast. (laughs) No, it is. I feel like it, it could have been moved up there, you know, like sort of sprayed as a car's burn it off on the bottom and maybe tire rubber picks it up well, and gets thrown out there. Yeah. And like all those, you know, when we're like you've talked about before where you're under caution, you're weaving back and forth and you're maybe dragging that stuff up the track and it just sort of sits there yeah. and doesn't get used. And then suddenly in the cup series, the the runs are so long and that so many competitive cars, they you've got to move around. <laughs> They have to search, and so My they favorite, eventually light up. So something. what you're talking about, too, what you're talking about that's extremely possible. So my favorite was at Bristol. <laughs> so Bristol, you know, SMI is no stranger to trying, you know, creative things to try to get what they want for the racing product. And when they, you know, we had this one groove race trap running around the top at Bristol. SMI made a bold effort of like, we're going to do this traction compound on the bottom groove. We want a bottom groove, one lane racetrack so we can bring back, you know, hashtag old Bristol. Well, one time they tried it, they sprayed it down there. We still ended up running the top. Wasn't enough. So the next time we went to Bristol, they were like, we're going to cake it on. And it was like (laughs) full car width worth of traction compound on the bottom groove in Bristol. And they're like, this is going to do the trick, right? Every, it's going to be so much traction compound, you cannot leave the bottom. Well, they put they sprayed so much traction compound that you could see the tire marks going up the racetrack. And we basically <laughs> just took the traction compound, picked it up on our tires, and took it up to the top groove with us. And we still ended up running the top. But then we ended up running the top at record speeds because we were basically running on a traction compound on the top groove because the cars teleported this traction compound from the bottom to the top. <laughs> yep. That sounds feasible. <laughs> Anyways. I think a lot of I think a lot of that's what's happened at New Hampshire. Um Martin Shrex Jr. dominated the race, but man, it didn't feel like it. Like this race felt competitive, and a lot of it I have to give a shout-out to my buddies, who I also work with at NBC, who were showing battles for 25th place at times that were like three and four cars, five cars at a time, and it was awesome because they would stay there for two or three laps, and it just felt important because you looked at these battles and you thought, oh, 25th place, but then you realize, wait a second, Martin Truex is catching them. This matters. They'd move to a 20th place battle because they were running all these crazy lines the drivers were trying to just find anything out there they did such a good job with that and i have to i'm gonna put a little secret out there um so you (laughs) may have noticed also watching the race that all but probably one maybe one driver maybe every single driver uh slash team was mentioned or had a a close-up at one point um and this is a something that a lot not just the production team but the talent everyone involved at NBC has really made a priority. And that is that 
if you're That's a cool. car on the racetrack, you get an opportunity to be shout out on that broadcast. Um, and I think it's wow. a really big, important thing for the sport. Yeah, and it's I've seen it, being able to watch these races. I've obviously been a part of them and seen how we're doing it on the production side. And it takes an immense effort. Remember, this is like covering the NFL if all the teams played at once, all at the same time. Imagine trying to cover the NFL the way people cover the NFL, but if every yeah. team played at once. That's what we're trying to do, and it's a really, really tough endeavor that takes an immense amount of production uh, behind the scenes and research and you know effort and reminding ourselves and, and tracking and all that. But it's I just felt it, and when you I saw the social media during that race yesterday on Monday, and people were like, "Wow!" Like they're showing twenty fifth place battles, and it just feels like everyone's every driver has gotten a chance to be you know shout out at some point with this race. And it's like, well, that's not just happening by chance. That's by design. So pretty cool. Um, I, I got a question. I, I've got go a ahead. question about that. So this, I think there was a, I think this was just a sponsorship that was tied with it, but I was watching Exp Xfinity practice and they had like a timer underneath the pylon mm -hmm. on the, the overlay the, and they were showing a car on track and it was, I had like a 25 second timer and it was counting down. And it almost looked like when the timer ran out, they would change cars. Is that tied to anything, or do you even know what I'm talking about? Yes, or is I that know a exactly what you're talking about. So, we, so no, we started this a couple years ago, uh, and this was also an attempt to sort of talk about everyone, right? So that is what we call through the field uh -huh. in practice, and you know, practice shows normally. Oh, okay. And the idea being that like you get 20 seconds for each commentator to talk about a specific car team, what's going on with them, what's going on, what's the big story, what are they fighting, what are they happy about, you know, what's what's going on in their personal lives, whatever it is, right? Or a pick crew member, something about that race team in 20 seconds that you can go through 10 or 15 cars That's that cool. maybe wouldn't get a shout-out because they're 15th to 28th on the board, right? But instead, this is a way to be like, hey, here's what's going on that team, here's why we're talking about them, right? So it's a, it's a definite... yeah. It's a yeah, it's a point of focus for the broadcast, but I just really think it was I saw it so well at New Hampshire and with that race being exciting racing through the field, I just thought it really stuck out. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um Martin Truex Jr. dominated. So of course, he's on a he's on a hot streak this year, you know, just in terms of this year in since winning the clash, he has been really at top form right but mm -hmm. um is he he's 43 years old is that right how old is he he's old <laughs> well he's not he's not old uh yeah he's 43 <laughs> years old That's right. I, sorry i was i wanted to say this correctly so at 43 years old he is toward you know most likely closer to the end of his career than the beginning obviously just via mm -hmm. math and statistics, but he is in peak form. And so he keeps getting the question. He got this last year. Are you retiring? Right. And there was a lot of rumors last year that he might retire. He did a, he had a P, uh, uh, clip after the race in the press conference where he basically summed it up by saying, I'm bad at making big decisions and that he wish he had mm -hmm. more time to make the decision. Um, but he doesn't. And so he'll know and we'll know soon. Here's the thing. I think this is a fascinating 
thing in motorsports especially and especially nascar because the peak age of a nascar cup driver via statistics is 39 and we're going to get into this a little later but that means you know later than most careers will you be at your peak form if you're able to be there and stay there that long but it's also a short window mm-hmm. because there's a big drop off around the age he is just via statistics and we see this with race car drivers through you know through the decades that have hung around till they ba- barely can make races or we've seen drivers, you know, just go too far with it. And then we have drivers, I very rarely do you ever have a driver that says, hey, I just won, I'm out. You know, like that never happens. And so I think for Martin Truex Jr., mm-hmm. people are like, man, and I even had this discussion with his brother a little bit. And I've said, you know, we, we go back and forth. And I said, look, you got two options. You go, you, you, you win, you know, Denny Hamlin likes to say he'd win his last race. You have that option or and you go out in peak form or, you know, you you go out in a winning fashion in a season or, you know, do you wait till you can't do it anymore? Kevin Harvick, you know, I think mm-hmm. he could win races this year. No doubt in my mind. I think he'll make the playoffs. So he could effectively win his last race, you know, at his age, which would be impressive. But I don't know. It's such an interesting thing to see in real time. Martin Truex kind of go through this discuss- this decision of – and people might be like, well, why would you ever stop? And it's like, well, remember, it's 38 weeks of the year. Immense travel, immense commitments. There's midweek commitments. Yep. You know, to do as a competitor, you're going to want to do this at 100, percent which takes a lot out of you. So yeah, I think it is a big decision for him, and it's it's interesting to see him do it in real time. He and he has a unique story too. I mean, there's there's no other driver that I can think of that's like him. And please, you know, help me. This guy <laughs> went his first 300 and. 60 odd starts of his NASCAR career, he won three races <laughs> and Wild. was pretty much a 20th place driver for those 300 some starts. Now, I'm not joking. And he wasn't in bad equipment. I mean, he drove yep. for DEI, he drove for MWR. Like, you know, he was even, I can remember a time at Furniture Row where they were looking to get rid of him. And there yep. was rumors of that. I, I, I guess I, I don't want to say that factually, but I, you know, being around the garage, there was always just mumbling of like, oh, you know, he's having a rough year. Are they going to get rid of him? You know, there's rumors, right? Just rumor stuff. And then it was just the, the Cole Pern era lit him up. And it was almost like it took that crew chief and that era and that whatever they went got on to – breathe new life into him as a driver because now he's transcended beyond Cole Pern right mm-hmm. now. Granted, he's still in great equipment and it's still, you know, it, it, it was, a you know, he morphed beyond furniture row into JGR, but like he's, I, I think in our uh, group thread that you and I share with, with somebody who will not be named, we was even talking about him as like hall of fame material. I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but, but he could be, <laughs> I mean, I, hey, if we win this championship this year, two-time champion and 34, 34 wins? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's Hall of Fame material. Two, two, you know, Denny Hamlin. Two championships and 34 wins is Hall of Fame material. Yeah. Denny's Hall of Fame material because of his ownership and his Daytona 500s. I two think. Two championships. You know, Martin. Is, not, is definitely. Two championships should probably get you in the Hall of Fame. 
It will. It so, will. I mean, the way we're talking about it, he's basically a one and a half. <laughs> Is he your? Are you making him your, your pick for the championship? I don't. I don't know if he's my pick for the championship. Anyways, no, he's not my pick. But like, I remember. I you know this is a weird because I'm like backhand compliment I'm trying not I'm not trying to be cynical about Martin Truex but like I told you in that group there that we talked about I I can remember like 12 years ago racing for position against him at New Hampshire thinking this guy is in so much better equipment than me right now and I'm beating him he sucks <laughs> and boy was I wrong. <laughs> Because <laughs> look at I mean look at what he's accomplished since then. It, but what a transition! Like over three hundred starts in the first year career, and you know had great opportunities, and people were probably ready to write him off, and just that the something switched. It's one of the more remarkable. Good for him. Yeah, it's one of the more remarkable career turnarounds uh we've ever seen you've had late starters i was looking up harry gant the other day obviously who didn't run a full-time season until what was he 39 or something um you know i, I think you've got Jeez, stories harry. like that mark martin who obviously had a no time rush, period being huh? here. what's that no rush for harry i guess <laughs> no none um, um well then you had mark martin who obviously came in young then then went back to ASA and then came back again in his early 30s, basically. But I think, yep. you know, when you look at this, yeah, it's the Cole Pern era reignites his career. He finds the confidence that flows into them going from Furniture Row to JGR. He then still has James Small, who is a, you know, basically a, was there along the ride with Cole Pern. Um, and I think yep. that's, that's really just you know sort of continued and it's kept his confidence and it's kept a lot of the same team members around and so it's just kept you know this has been a a, a unit that's working and that's a tough thing to walk away from like you finally you said it three wins and 360 starts and now he's in hall of fame material and it's like you're winning how could you stop this is everything you ever wanted <laughs> yeah uh but it's so cool it, it, it really is so cool to see somebody retire at the top because it makes you feel like they're in control and, yes, we, and we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know the story, right? We don't know the stories. But, you know, I always think, like, Brett, Brett Favre was my hero growing up, growing up in the Midwest and, you know, Green Bay Packers. and It just didn't feel right to see him play for the Jets, right? And, mm -hmm. and, it, and Tom Brady, like, made this big risk going to the Buccaneers, but he won the Super Bowl, and that sort of validated it. But then – you know, you hate to see him just keep going beyond, right? So I think Martin, you know, I don't know. It, it seemed his interviews at the after the race seemed maybe telling on where his head was at, not to tease on him a little bit, but I mean, gosh, if you're comparing this decision to whether or not to buy a saltwater boat, it almost tells me where his head is at. <laughs> where his head has been at. <laughs> I think I uh, I think I texted you and I was like Man, I just I just hope Martin can figure out what kind of boat he wants to buy. Good luck, buddy. I'm really praying for you, man. Like, guys, you felt compelled to share that story with the with the public. Like, guys, just let me tell you how oh, bad man. this is tearing me up. I can't even decide what kind of boat to buy, dude. <laughs> Maybe you should retire. 
but I don't know. Good for him. I mean, it's a cool story for me. I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I relate to that because I'm like, hey, does anybody else want to hire a driver that has 300 and some odd cup starts and very few, if not no wins? Because I could go from age 34 to 44 and win 30 more races. I think you could. <laughs> Let's try it. I believe it. Yeah. I think you should do it. I think there's an owner out there that should do that. They should. So give you a <laughs> there shot. You go. Let's do it. <laughs> So another driver uh, over the age of 40 doing big things, and this is a connect in a big way that I want to talk about just sort of in a from a, I guess, higher point of view of what's happening in NASCAR. You have A.J. Mm-hmm. Allmendinger, who we've mentioned on this podcast before, brought in a colleague to go out there, and most likely I think the common methodology was to win a road course to get this challenger team, this mm-hmm. young cup team, into the playoffs. Well, right now, He's sitting after New Hampshire 20 points out. So he's actually not just in position to go win a road course and get them in. He's in position to get them in via points, which at 41 years old in a second, or maybe what we would call this the second stint in cup, although it's like basically a third, maybe. He is doing big things in a way, you know, that at 41 years old, you would think you know, they, a driver might be past doing what he's doing in terms of overall course of the whole season. So I think it's really impressive what he's doing there. But also impressive, and probably more impressive, and I think the most single most impressive thing in the NASCAR Cup Series right now is Michael McDowell. And my favorite movie, Landon, is Moneyball, because I've always felt like it's one of the coolest stories. <laughs> I've read the book twice. And I think it's one of the cool stories because sports become so formulaic, right? Become They become so set within rules and such that it's just basically best performer, most money wins. And in motorsports especially, for years, I always wondered, like, if you were going to be able to moneyball series, it's one going to be the NASCAR Cup Series because it's a long enough season with enough races and enough variety that you could possibly figure out a way to use humans to be just slightly better with a lower budget than some of your bigger budget competitors. Now, for years, though, that wasn't mm-hmm. the case because we were building cars, we were manufacturers. You were just going to get outspent and outmoneyed no matter how hard you tried. But in this next-gen mm-hmm. era, it's sort of unlocked this idea a little bit of condensing the field, the charter system, the enthusiasm around NASCAR, all the financial stuff happening in the background has sort of unlocked this thing where you could potentially, quote-unquote, moneyball your way into the playoffs and being a contending car. And Michael McDowell is doing that. So think back last year. He has Blake Harris, who becomes from the, as a car chief from Joe Gibbs in the 78 before that. He comes to be a crew chief. He also assembles a car chief and a couple other mechanics at front row. And they go on to, to be incredible, right? And are really running up front and just consistently in the top 10 and qualifying the top 10 at Mount Haas. And it's really unbelievable. And at the end of the year... The whole team is gutted. Blake Harris goes to Hendrick. All the other, a lot of the other crew members, all but basically one guy, were brought to bigger teams who could pay them more because front row just can't, on their budget, feasibly pay or compete against the Hendrick Motorsports, right? So a lot of people thought, mm-hmm. okay, maybe it was those guys. Maybe it's Blake that's just doing big things. Well, fast forward. We are now <laughs> past New Hampshire. What, 19 races in this season? 20 or so? Six, six away from the playoffs. Michael McDowell is in on points. He has a rookie crew chief who he picked. He has a bunch of crew members that he personally picked. I watched him at the in the garage area at Las Vegas last fall in the Xfinity series with his backpack on, 
going around and speaking individually to crew members, thinking I might be able to get convince them to take a step up into the Cup Series and be a part of my team because they're undervalued talent, right? Well, that to me is the definition of Moneyball, finding underutilized or undervalued talent, and that is what the 34 team is doing. Michael's very coy about it because he doesn't like to sort of promote this too much, but he, I, from all intents and purposes, from talking to him, from the people around him that I've been able to speak to, talk about how involved he is in that decision-making. Um, and I just think this is so cool because if you look at the teams he's beating to get in the playoffs right now, it's Hendrick Motorsports, it's Penske, it's Joe Gibbs Racing, <laughs> it's it's Trackhouse, it's the who's who of well-funded, top-of-the-line organizations spending well into the 20s of millions to run those cars per car, and he's probably doing it on half of the budget of one of those cars. Just an unbelievable story right now. No matter where this goes, especially if he makes it, I think this is one of the coolest things we've seen in NASCAR in a long time. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's a, and he's a guy that's grinded it out forever. But that, you know, he he started that. I, I And I wonder what it was that triggered for him to, to really get after that. To me, you know, that started back when he recruited Drew Blick, Blickensturfer to come over there um, at front row. Like he made, he personally made that happen. Um, yep. And I know that he personally made that happen, even helped financially to make sure that that happened, to make sure the money worked for, to get Drew to come over to front row, which was not a team that Drew was interested in coming over to at the time. Um, <laughs> and really the proof, the, the proof that, that, um, that you are making, you know, that Michael is the leader there is not just the fact that the team is succeeding beyond Blake Harris, but to me that the team, the team was assembled with Blake Harris and his group after Drew Blickensturfer. Yep. Um, you know, yep. at first like Drew Blickensturfer came over and their performance increased dramatically. And you could easily say, well, Drew's a pretty proven, like he's a, he would be a dream crew chief for me at any point in my cup career to have. Um, and when they lost Drew, you would have thought, oh, okay, well, we're just going to see Drew go away and Michael go back to running wherever the 34 is used to running. Um, they bring in Blake, same thing happens again. And they lose Blake, and look at him. It's almost like he keeps getting better. <laughs> Literally, better. It's just, it's one of the more unbelievable things I've seen in all of global motorsports. And I really don't think there's many series in the world that you could pull this off, that you could do what he's doing there's not enough races in most of the series for a you know for the the sample size to work for the idea. There's not enough variety in tracks and that sort of thing for it to work in other forms of racing. So, and there's not enough competitors, right? And there's not the playoff system that allows you to sort of be you know able to sort of look at the season differently mm -hmm. than just straight up finishing places. And there's not stage points in other series which allow you to look at races differently. The... So you can do a lot of things differently. This is the this is the ultimate product of what is supposed to happen with this next gen car. You yep. know, is that on your best day like in the old car a small team on your best day could crack the top 20. Right? All you're end up all you're ultimately doing is 
maximizing your equipment and beating some guys that underutilize their superior equipment. But now the actual hardware is all the same. So on your best day, you can be the best. And and that's I mean that's what we've seen with you know teams like the 34 and and even you know track house it's like I, we've talked about how we need to stop talking about them like a challenger team because they do have superior support but they're and they are a key partner team but they're not a legacy organization that has their own engine shop and um things like that and they're you know obviously on their best day they can not just win but they can dominate races um yeah so it, that's you know examples like that are the 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 reason why this next gen car was brought in and i wonder how this success now not just over one season not just two seasons but really almost three seasons and i know only two of the next gen but really from what we've seen out of this 34 car and the, the rise they've had what this does for other organizations to look at their model and say wait a second what are they focusing on that we're not because they're not spending money like we are <laughs> but they're finding these people and how are yeah. they finding them and how you know how are they doing this how are they spending so little and having such success um mm -hmm. and how can we incorporate that and i know you know michael's in the conversation in the rumor mill for the 10 car if eric on roll is to retire uh you know and for right you know for the right reasons he should be he's doing a great job and doing big things and maybe part of that's not just him it's hey man whatever you're doing there come bring that show us how to do <laughs> bring that it over here. here you know <laughs> like not just your driving yeah. like the, for a for a driver to be hired not just because he's a great driver but to be hired to be like whatever you've just figured out in your processes and systems and and evaluation of talent we want you over here to do that you know and well we're going to give you all the money yeah. too so here you know see what you can do now i think that will be that'll be really interesting if he gets there um and i want to take this just one step further in that when you look at the playoffs right now, we talk about an A.J. Omnier. We talk about a Martin Truex Jr. who's 43 years old. A.J. Omnier is 41. Michael McDowell, 38, about to be entering his what's considered the peak year for a NASCAR stock car driver in the Cup Series at 39 years old. You have Brad Keselowski, who's in the playoffs right now. He's 39. They're knocking out yep. drivers like Bowman, Suarez, Gibbs, Haley, Sindrick, Chase Elliott, Ryan Priest, Eric Jones, Chase Briscoe, all the young ones, not quite there. I mean, those I are some drivers. Fascinating. Siri, I mean, there are some drivers that are seriously on notice. Like, I mean, gosh, I'm just looking at Chase Briscoe, Harrison Burton, Austin Dillon. Like, that's a, yeah, that's a interesting scenario, but. I guess that's the uh, the that's gonna be the beauty of the parody in in this car is those drivers that are on notice right now they could easily be have a hot streak of ten or fifteen races either this year or next year and find themselves right back up there. I mean, you go all the way down to twenty six in points is Ryan Priest, right? And think, mm -hmm. oh man, Ryan's got to be on notice, but he's ninety seven points back, and that is a lot of points, but that can be made up in three or four weeks. With he's also the second four highest really solid weeks. Yeah, he's the second yeah. highest SHR car. <laughs> oh, huh. Now I think Chase Wright had a uh penalty uh at one point there. So I mean you gotta look at that. But it's just to me, 
age is such a funny thing in motorsports because forever, you know, people are on this whole syndrome of like younger, better and all that stuff. And yet all the statistics tell you the opposite. And I just like to see that in the next, you know, this idea of parity and the car mattering less than the competitor. And that we're seeing now in the second year of this car, a seriously weighted uh, <laughs> results for older drivers for more experienced older drivers and that's not mm-hmm. just because i'm 32 yep. um you know and and you see a guy <laughs> like a hey, josh berry get it getting going to cup at 32 or 33 i just think it's just a, i've always thought this was a fascinating thing about this sport and it's just interesting to see it sort of panning out that way so we'll see if we'll see what the average age of the playoffs is but i have to wonder if it sits as it is now and and just one or two other changes it could be maybe one of the older playoff fields in since the playoffs have been around, which would be interesting. Yep. Yep. Also, Shane um, Van so, Gisbergen, by the way. Well, yeah. hold on. He he won his first outing as a supercars driver. He has now enticed Brody Kostecki to come over here and drive a, a third car for Richard Childress Racing at Indianapolis. It will be sponsored by Mobile X, which is um, – Basically, the founder of Boost Mobile in Australia, Peter Addington, he's one of his new companies. I follow him because of Supercars. Mm-hmm. He sponsors uh, James Courtney over in Supercars. He sponsored a bunch of drivers. And uh, kind of cool to see, but I uh, I don't know if we should all be expecting the same result like Shane because Indy, double file restarts, turn one, good luck. <laughs> 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 yeah, and also, um, you know, now we're we're a little bit more on equal playing field with the cup drivers. Um, yeah, you know, Indy Road Course is not too unfamiliar for these guys. Uh, much more simpler race course as well. Um, so it'll be a little bit more equipment dependent. Um, and I don't think that the street racing background of a supercars driver will carry as much of an advantage at Indy as it did at the street course, especially, you know, the Chicago street course where drivers, cup drivers had no experience. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Brody does. If Brody comes in and does anything similar to what Shane Van Gisbergen did at Chicago then I think cup drivers need to stop everything and learn to drive on a road course. <laughs> um, but if all Brody... Us, all of us. Yeah, every single one of us, uh, you know, living or deceased cup drivers, <laughs> aspiring cup drivers, uh, every USAC sprint car driver that wants to make it to NASCAR... Uh, every super late model driver in the world, if if Brody Kostecki goes to Indy Road Course and qualifies in the top three and wins that race, um, then then it's a it is going to be game on for the driver market. It would it would it would. <laughs> I'm uh, okay now. I'm being dramatic, but you know what? Let's just be dramatic for a second. It would blow up the driver market. I think. Let's just say. Mm. Why would I think it? so? Probably you know, SVG and... winning Chicago, we can, we can make all kinds of excuses for why SVG won Chicago. Half the race was in the rain. It was a street course. It was a new track. Drivers didn't know it. Da-da-da-da. Street course, you know, supercars driver on street course, blah, 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 blah. All those things. If Brody Kostecki comes to a track 
that NASCAR drivers already know and beats him at it on his first try, just like SVG did, why wouldn't it blow, completely blow up every team that's looking to hire a new driver and say, yeah. oh, okay, how much we got to pay these yeah. guys? Right? <laughs> why wouldn't it why wouldn't yeah. you well and brody does have a little stock car experience he did some k&n starts uh back i think 2016 era did some k&n Ooh, starts on some familiar. old something so he has some stock car experience yeah these supercars drivers you know i know we talked about them when back when we were talking about versatility and stuff we talked about them being one-dimensional but maybe this well not those drivers being one dimensional but the supercar series because yep. they're essentially stock cars on road courses right but those drivers seem to be into a lot of types of racing i mean svg i had no idea the guy's races on dirt and all kinds of stuff does rally yeah um, does all sorts of stuff so well so i do agree there's a wait maybe here's another thing that maybe we're finding is Maybe Australia is just a honeypot for stock car <laughs> racing talent that we have not <laughs> tapped. Marcus and, Marcus Ambrose was like, just the just a taste of the of the yeah. uh, of the honey. <laughs> and well, maybe Marcus Ambrose came in and couldn't have showed us a better example of what the talent is that's down there, and the whole sport ignored it. Yeah, you know, or maybe he wasn't in the right equipment. You know, he had a great career, but and and had success, but he just you know at RPM through an era where equipment mattered so much. Um, you know, it could have been his personality. Maybe he didn't identify with some big brands and really take off as a business. But like for whatever reason, Marcus, I mean, he he alone didn't. You know, he came in and then nobody followed him. Or the teams didn't follow. Maybe the teams weren't sophisticated enough to to think and see about what's going on. But now that we've got this next gen car, maybe maybe we're about to find out that there's a hell of a lot more where that came from <laughs> when it comes to SVG. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, or we'll or let, now let's bring in the other side of the conversation. Or Brody qualifies fifteenth and gets wrecked on a restart. Qualifies twenty second, gets wrecked on a restart. Welcome to NASCAR. Chase yep. Elliott, don't worry. Everyone's... You're going to be fine. <laughs> Tyler Reddick, it's all good. Don't worry. We're all good. Yeah, Our stock car racers are safe. Austin Dillon, don't worry. You'll be fine. We're gonna As long as we race at, <laughs> race at Richmond for the next 50 years, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one will know. That's funny. All right. Uh, moving on to NASCAR <laughs> to Formula One. Uh, big rumor. The FIA is approving the F1 and the Andretti F1 team bid. Now, this is only one part of the, the equation. The FIA being have shown the most support from the beginning when uh, when Michael Andretti was very vocal about wanting these this team to happen. The teams have all mm -hmm. basically denied his want to buy one. That's not happening. Now, here's the interesting part: if the FIA approve the adding of their team to Formula One. The teams mm -hmm. and FOM, which FOM is basically Liberty Media, can veto that decision. But there is potentially a scenario where they could race, but they would receive no prize money. So basically losing out on 40 to $100 million in 
revenue per year so in the, from the sport. In, in the NASCAR world, this would be racing as an open car. Yes, but no even charter. worse because you'd just be zero. Yep. Yeah, you'd be zero. Right. So, or right. but not maybe not worse because you couldn't miss a race. So you you know you wouldn't miss the Monaco Grand Prix because you just have to show up. Um, whereas like you know a team unchartered in NASCAR Cup Series could effectively miss the Daytona 500, which would be massively detrimental. Right. These right? guys will get they would get a grid spot in every race. Exactly. So we'll follow this. I remember I had heard a while back that this was getting approved. Uh, we said on this podcast, but mm-hmm. this, it just seemed like there's a lot of contention though amongst the teams and Liberty Media who just do not want it to happen. They feel like their model is good. Everything's mm-hmm. great right now. They don't want to mess it up. So we'll see. This is going to be interesting. Boardroom battles continue in Formula One. It's interesting. Yeah. Do they, would they race for no prize money? I think they would. I don't know. I think they would. I mean, they got all their I money they lined would. up. Yeah. I think that'd I mean, be a tough, that'd my, be a tough I don't thing. Know you have to have Andretti a that intimately, but. Knowing Andretti, everything he's got put together to be able to get this far, he's got to be able to have it budgeted to where prize money is, even if it's 40 million bucks. Like, he's got to be able to put together the, the money to run this thing. I don't know. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't know. That's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you you do the that. numbers. Yeah, somebody's got to pay for it. You do the numbers on this. The, the only thing you got to do though, sometimes. It's got deep pockets, but I don't know how deep. <laughs> you know what makes you feel this isn't a lot of money, though? When you see that a one football team, uh, NFL team, does about $3.5 <laughs> billion in revenue per year, and you realize yep. that yeah. the entirety – of the cup series <laughs> it's like three and a half. it's way yeah, less than the that whole, the whole business the whole yeah. industry and yeah. the whole the whole form of the one is less it's like oh my gosh this is wild though so, yeah it does feel big but then in context other pro sports maybe it's not i don't know we'll see we'll keep following that we'll stay yeah. on the the rumor mill and keep our ears to the ground and then just one more thing from form of the one that came out today uh many may remember nicholas the Tifi. Uh, what they call him, Goat Tifi or the Tifi Goat, or whatever. Um, who was, <laughs> you know, had a tough time exiting from one when he was part was a wreck, was in that wreck that caused the safety car that allowed Max Verstappen to go around Lewis Hamilton to win the championship back mm-hmm. in 2021. He's been out of racing since then, and he just recently went public saying that he's going to take a break from racing and go pursue his MBA at 28 years old. Nice. So, yeah. Nice for him. Make that decision. I'm just curious. When's the uh, VC firm announcement coming? <laughs> uh, does he have like family money or something to seed fund? Yes, lots, and lots. Patagonia, um, vest already lined up with a family logo <laughs> on it. Fifty million dollar seed fund. <laughs> yeah, fund work. one, fund one, fifty million. Thanks to all the LPs. Forty nine million from the family. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, on that note. Maybe it's, they were like, all right, well, you, you, the money is yours. You just can't spend it on racing. All right. Okay. Exactly. Can you get me into Have Harvard? <laughs> He's going to get his MBA in London. Um, Formula E had some races this past weekend in Rome. They had a massive crash uh, to the ri- title rivals crash as well. 
Uh, we don't need to dive into all that, but it was interesting. Go catch the highlights. You can get it on the Money Lap newsletter email. IndyCar raced at Toronto this past weekend. Uh, Christian Lungard won by a massive amount, but the cool part was Alex Pillow finishing second with a front wing being held on by so, basically a wrap, which was wild. And so our greatest one more. greatness watch Go is ahead. still intact. Greatness watch is still intact. Yes. Yes. Still We're intact. Greatness with Alex Pillow. Very good. Alex Pillow is doing unbelievable things still. Uh, with basically, he had half, you know, the wing was basically being held on by the wrap, and he still somehow finished the race in second. It was wild to watch. And just uh, one announcement that came out today Connor Daly will be back in the number 60 for Meyer Shank um, since Simon Pagano is still recovering from that wreck at Mid Ohio. Uh, so he'll be back. Tom Boomquist got the shot at Toronto. Unfortunately, got wrecked on lap one, but showed some speed in qualifying. Oof. So maybe he'll get another shot. It's interesting. But uh, for Iowa, Connor, our buddy Connor Daly will be back in it. So that's the run through. Um, right. I want to tell everyone, go watch the Firecracker 400 qualifying this week. Twitch.tv slash eraser underscore GG or just eraser.gg. I'm doing triple duty at Pocono Landon. So I'm racing trucks. Xfinity on Saturday, both on Saturday, and then I'm also doing TV Sunday. So wish me luck this weekend. Nice. Well, good luck. <laughs> It'll be fun. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about the firecracker. Hoping to invoke some special moments. It's been emotional for a lot of people qualifying in, racing their way in. Um, I have no idea if our listeners are interested in eNASCAR related or esports related stuff, but if you are, give it a give it a listen. Definitely go check it out. And next week we'll be recording this podcast the day before the big show. So that next Wednesday will be the, the big firecracker 400 on our Twitch. That'll be cool. So anyway, I'm going to do uh Pocono this weekend and we're going to go qualify some, some E uh, retro stock cars tonight, tomorrow. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.